This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. All right, celebration, let's all stand together. Our campus is already together with us down in the Fox Valley and all those online. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this morning. If you're a first-time guest or visitor at our Fox Valley campus or here, uh, and you think, wow, is this always like this? Uh, not exactly, <laughs> although it'd be kind of cool. Uh, today, we're just having fun with the blues music, um, but we have great musicians. We have a great time of worship and praise. You guys in the Fox Valley, typically, you have your own musicians in the service there, and then you join up with us now for the message. But anyway, we're glad you're all with us today. Um, quick reminder of how we do our offerings. Uh, there's envelopes in the seat backs in front of you or wherever they're at. I saw them some chairs earlier. Uh, you can use those to put uh, any cash or uh, checks and put those in the offering with the ushers on the way out of the building this morning. Or you can go online and sign up for giving there as well, at celebrationchurch.tv. Or you can use the Celebration Church app on your phone. You can search for the Celebration Church app and see that, and then you can give that way as well. We appreciate your faithfulness uh, in supporting God's kingdom. Looking forward to uh, after the service during our bike blessing. We're going to be doing this here as well and uh, down at the Fox Valley. So we're looking forward to that. should be fun. Uh, but right now, we're going to turn it over to our special guest this morning, the Reverend Jimmy Bratcher. It's always a treat for me to be here and hang out with all you cheeseheads. Every time I come to Green Bay, I'm a Packer fan till I go back to Kansas City. I heard the groans in the audience there. But anyway, so I'm thrilled to be here. I'm always, it's such a treat to be here. Y'all are such great people. And uh, Sherry and I so appreciate uh, your love and support that you've given us throughout the years, and hopefully that will continue. Just because we got a little bit of age on us, y'all ain't going to leave us in the dirt and go on. 
But we're happy in that uh, we're still able, we're back traveling again, which after two years, it was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And, uh, and we are. We just recently did our largest uh, prison outreach uh, that we do every year in, in Ellsworth, Kansas. And um, we started a new thing last year where we're doing an in-prison book signing. So we've always done these large inspirational evangelistic events when we're in prison, but we haven't had any way to really follow up or do ongoing ministry. So we thought, let's just use our books. So we take a bunch of books into the prison with us, and everybody that wants one gets one and gets one signed, and we leave them there with us. And we have a bunch of books and and music and barbecue rubs and our cookbook and everything out in the foyer, and if you would like to support that effort... You can uh, just leave an offering, or you can pick up one of these cards that are on the table. There's some QR codes on the back, and we will take that money, buy books, and give them away. I'm very excited because I start recording a new album in just a few days, and it's the first gospel album that I've, straight-up gospel album that I've recorded in uh, 12 years, and I'm, I'm really thankful to be able to do that again, but... We're here to hear the word, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, this unique opportunity for us to gather together. And Lord, help us today to have hearts that are open and willing. Help our ears to hear how this word applies to us. And help us when we leave today, Lord, to be able to do the word that's taught to us today. Lord, I pray that you would visit us in a special way today, and it would be a day of mobilization, it would be a day of realization, and that we would leave here knowing the purpose that you have for our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to look at a question that God asked Moses. It's found in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2. And here's the verse, Exodus 4, 2. So the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. So the story here is Moses, the fugitive, the murderer, has fled Egypt into the desert. And he turns and he looks and he sees this sight. And you know the story about the bush that's burning and not consumed. And he sees it and he turns aside. And then Moses hears something. It's the voice of God. He's disclosing a plan that he has for Moses. And Moses once again is confronted with emotions and reality that he has had 40 years prior. When he was in Egypt, he had this desire. He saw his fellow Israelites being abused in slavery, and he rose up and defended one of them and murdered an Egyptian. And all of those emotions all of a sudden start to come back into Moses' life, and he's faced with this reality of this purpose that he's probably suppressed for the last 40 years. And it's an amazing moment. God tells Moses that he's aware of what's going on in Egypt, And then he tells Moses, he says, I am sending you to Pharaoh and you must lead my people out. You know, so many times as believers, we struggle with knowing what the will of God is. And I have found that the will of God is not knowledge, it's discovery. 
You know, I've always, I joke about this, but have you ever seen that picture, footprints? You know, there's two sets of footprints, and then there's one, and the guy says, well, Lord, why was there only one there? And he says, well, that's when I was carrying you. My, my picture of footprints doesn't look like that. It's one set of footprints and two ruts where the Lord's dragging me into his will. <laughs> but the will of God is a discovery, and it's always found where you are in the present. If we project his will into the, flu into the future, we will never clearly see it because he will always do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We, be, we must be looking for his will in the present because if we don't, we're looking for it at the wrong place and at the wrong time. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now, and the day of salvation is today. God's will is presented to Moses. When it's presented to Moses here, Moses does what all of us normally do. He, we default to the sense of lack. And the sense of lack is the most effective strategy that our enemy has to use against us. It's the strategy that tries to attack our identity and convince you that you are not who God created you to be and there's something that you lack that keeps you from doing his will. All of this is only necessary to try to get you to doubt who God created you to be. And we have to resist the sense of lack. It's what happened in the Garden of Eden. You know, we like to project that the fall of man was due to Adam's disobedience, which is true, but there was something that happened first. His identity had to be attacked first. He had to be convinced that he was not who God created him to be in the image and likeness of God, and that there was something else that he had to do in order to achieve the status that God had designed for him. The same thing happened to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness. The enemy comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, then prove it by your performance. And Jesus did what we should do, is that he defaulted back to the word of God, which is the only true thing that can really define who you are. My friend Jim Richards wrote this in his book, Wired for Success, Program for Failure. He said this, we live in the illusion of how we've learned to see ourselves. You see, how we see ourselves is only our perception. It's not always the truth. God's perception is only the truth. And the only way that we can see ourselves or judge ourselves correctly is in the light of the finished work of Jesus. Why? Because that's how God sees you and I. He sees us, according to Colossians 2.10, complete in Jesus. But we're very much aware because of our senses all of the things that we lack in our lives. And we can run to that default as Moses did 
And we can, we can try to project those things into our present when God is saying, you know, I don't see you that way. I see you differently because I see you in the finished work of all that Christ accomplished for you and I. And if you want a, if you want a hard part of believing, that's it right there. Coming to the place where you believe that you are complete in Jesus. Another strategy of the enemy is to convince you that God is withholding something from you. And that if you're good enough, he's going to release these things into your life. But 2 Peter 1.3 says this, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I've studied the Greek in this scripture, and all literally means all. So God is not withholding something from you. You know, one of my pet peeves is to be in a worship service where people are singing, Jesus, I need more of you. I'm like, really? What else would you want Jesus to do for you besides die for you? It's like, come on. He gave it all. He laid it all on the line. He did everything that was necessary for our relationship with God to be reconciled. Knowing what the sense of lack is and attacking it with faith in the word of God will liberate you to reach your full potential. But it rarely works when you tell God your excuses. Moses, his first excuse when God said, I'm going to send you, is he said this, who am I? In Exodus 3.11, it says, but but Moses protested to God, not a wise decision. <laughs> Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? It just never works when you question God about the way that he made you. God's response to Moses was, I'll be with you. And that should have been enough for Moses but we're different than Moses. In Moses' day, the Spirit of God would come upon people. But because of what Jesus did, the Spirit of God comes internally to live in us and to abide with us forever. The helper, the comforter, the one that's going to lead and guide us into all truth. He comes to reside within us, and that's a huge difference. Moses goes on and he says this, they won't believe me. Exodus 4.1 says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And God's response to Moses was to say, What is in your hand? God is looking for something with Moses like he's looking for something with you and I. It's not something that we don't have, it's something that we do have. And it's something that we have right now at this moment. He goes on and he says, but God, I can't talk. Exodus 4.10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I have never been, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my, world, my words get tangled. He reaches into his past and he justifies his insecurities. And God's response was, 
okay, I'll send your brother. And your brother will talk for you. Moses goes on and he says, send someone else. Exodus 4.13, but Moses pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. It all sounds like stuff that we've said to the Lord when God wants to use us to help somebody, right? And even though God gets upset with Moses, he doesn't change his mind about Moses. He chose Moses to be the deliverer, and God called him to do that, and God still wants to use him. And this is an interesting study in the character and nature of God, how God acts towards us. We can see his character and nature and how he puts up with all of Moses' excuses. He does it. He doesn't condemn him, but eventually he finally says, no. Moses, you the man, you the one, I'm sending you, go do it. You see, it's not wise to discount what is in your hand because God doesn't care about what you think you don't have. He cares about what you do have, no matter how insignificant you think it is. Most of all, he cares about what you believe and what you believe in his ability and what you believe about yourself. And if you keep discounting yourself, you will always come up short. My son Jason has this quote on the bath, in, in his house on the wall, and it's from Henry Ford. And it simply says this, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. You see, God knows what you have, and he wants to use it. Proverbs 6, 8, 16, Proverbs 6, I mean, here's Sherry, she's going, Jimmy, slow down. <laughs> Proverbs eighteen sixteen says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And when I looked up this word gift, it was like, ah, what a dummy. A gift, it simply means that that you presently have to give away, a gift. That's what gifts are for, they're for giving. And God gives a gift to each one of us. He gives us all gifts, we all have gifts right now in our lives. And he's setting us up for the opportunity to use that gift. Sherry, she started, a, she started this fantastic ministry. Do you all follow Sherry on social media? She has this fantastic ministry. It's unbelievable. You know what it is? She sets out on the deck. She props her feet up on the fire pit, and she takes pictures of her shoes. <laughs> she has a bunch of shoes. And it's amazing. People from all over the world are like, they're on there. She's using what she has. She loves her deck. She's out there on the deck. Got bird feeders out there. The birds are chirping. She got a Red Ryder BB gun to shoot the squirrels when they come around. <laughs> she never hits them. She just shoots at them. They take off. But she used what she had. 
When Sherry and I came to Jesus, it was December 19th, 1976, and we were in this little country church in Hamilton, Missouri, called God's Sheep Shed. And Jesus invaded our lives. And people say, well, when were you, at, when were you called to ministry? It's like, you know, I don't remember a moment from that moment that I didn't want to do something for Jesus. He invaded my life. He took away my addictions. He invaded my marriage, reconciled my marriage, my relationship with my children, blessed my family with more children. It's like from that moment, I wanted to do something for Jesus. So we were a country church. They heated the church with wood. And the first weekend after Christmas, the men were having a work day. And I showed up for work day. We're going to cut some wood. I went up to this old farmer. He was there with a chainsaw. I said, I'm here to help. Where's the chainsaw? He had on bib overalls. He looked at me and said, son, you're just coming off drugs. You don't get no chainsaw. <laughs> he said, you see that pile of brush over there? Move it over here. I was serving the Lord. I had the brush ministry. As soon as the weather warmed up, I didn't know this, but there was an interior manifestation of the brush ministry. And for seven years, I bowed before the throne, cleaning toilets in the church. The brush ministry continues. I'd be on my knees before the throne saying, surely the pastor or deacon needs this ministry more than me, Jesus. Sherry found that she could teach school, so we had a little Christian school. She taught, she taught school there as a full-time volunteer, no pay for 12 years. Our son Jason went to that school. He graduated. He went to apply for college, and they said, what was your position in your class? He said, I was the number one in my class. He was the only one in his class, and they gave him a scholarship. What's in your hand? What do you have? What's in your hand? You know, you never progress beyond the ministry of helps. You never do it. People say, I'm an evangelist. What do I do? I help people evangelistically. Some people say, well, I'm a pastor. Pastor Mark, what does he do? He helps people. That's what we're called to do. And we all have this ministry of helps. We all have something in our hand that God wants to use. We need to be busy. But the problem is, is that we don't like starting small. We don't. Zechariah 4.10 says, Don't despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got when, when 22 years ago, I, I wanted to start playing music again. I had no idea what to do. I went online, man, I'm looking around trying to find advice and everything, and I found this one blog and I was reading it. And this guy said, if you want to be in the music business, first you have to start. I'm like, how profound is that? He went on and explained, it's like you need, to, you need to find a place to play. You don't need to be worried about get, making money. You don't need to be worried about how good you are. You just need to start doing it. 
And this says the Lord rejoices to see our work start. And some of you all, you're sitting on your gifts. And you will never be completely fulfilled as a believer until you use what is in your hand. I learned this from Mark Gunger. I hate to admit that, but... (laughs) You will find your dreams in pursuit of the opportunities that are right in front of your face. Your opportunities are the things that will lead you to your dreams. When I started, when I started in the brush ministry, I had no idea where it was going to lead me. For seven years, I cleaned toilets in the church. I had no idea that that was a pathway to something else. But God used what was in my hands. You have something in your hands. Start with what you have. What do you have? It's like when I think about, you know, what I presently have to give away, I always think about my garage. Because, like, it's full of stuff. I mean, it is. It's full of things that I don't use, you know, things that I, it's like I'm going to hang on to this because one of these days I'm going to use it. No, you're not. Find somebody to give it to. Oh, come on, man. The crowd went mild on that one. God will take care of the grandiose if we take care of the simple. He'll take care of the spectacular if we'll use what we have right now in our hands. You see, I believe this. I believe that we're at a pivotal point in our nation. And And I believe that the answer to the culture war is the church. You know why I believe that? Because we have always been on the forefront of influencing culture. It's true. The arts, all of the classics, Michelangelo, Beethoven, Chopin, you know why they created what they created? Because the church sponsored that. And the greatest way that we can influence culture is by showing up in culture with the reality of the presence of God in our life and a love in our heart for people. And if there was ever a time when people need to be around people that aren't fighting with each other, it's right now. You can be completely counterculture by showing up in a situation and keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> but meanwhile, back on, back on my message, God will take care of the grandiose if we will take care of the, of the simple. So what's in your hand? What do you have right now that you can presently give away? What kind of gift can you give? And it's, it's, it's crazy what God will do with those gifts. But if we spend our time discounting our gifts, we'll never use what we have. And for some of us, we need to just stop judging what it is that we have, and stop the self-condemning talk that we talk to ourselves with. You know, I went through a, a huge change in my life in that I made it a point to shut off the self-condemning talk that I talk to myself. 
And some of you girls need to get that. Come on, somebody. So how will you allow God to use what you have? Like Moses, what you have in your hand will only manifest when you get it out of your hand. You can remain within the limitations of your own perception or use what is in your hand. I was at a conference in Alabama a while back, and I shared this point about how we discount our gifts. We discount it. You see, what you think maybe is insignificant and of no value might be of great value to someone else who you give it to. And I shared this story, and a few weeks later, I got an email from a lady that was in that meeting, and she told me a story. She said, you know, I heard your story, your, your sermon about discounting my gift, and there was a family that moved into our neighborhood, and they immigrated here from another country. And I hadn't got to meet them yet, but I had heard from another neighbor that the mother of the family had passed away. And I wanted to do something to express my condolences. But as I went to look for something, I couldn't find anything that I thought adequately expressed it. I couldn't find anything that I thought was of enough importance to give as a gift. And then I remembered your message about discounting the gifts that, that I have. And so I went to my kitchen and I baked a loaf of bread. And I went down to the neighbor's house and I knocked on the door. And the woman of the house came to the door and I expressed my condolences about her mother passing away. And I said, you know, this isn't much, but it's what I have. I baked this loaf of bread for you, and I'd like to give it to you. And the woman of the house immediately broke into tears and started weeping. When she gained her composure, she said, you have no idea how much this means to me. Because this reminds me of my mother. Because my mother always baked bread. And the one regret that I have about her passing is that she never taught me how to bake bread. And the lady simply said, may I teach you how to break bread? Her gift made room for her. It opened a door that had impact. But if she would have discounted what was in her hand, that opportunity would have passed by. There's all kinds of things that you can do right here in church. But there's even more opportunities outside of these doors. You know, we're going to go outside and we're going to do a bike blessing. And I, I, I'm a motorcycle guy. I recently sold my motorcycle. But I'm a motorcycle guy, and for years I rode motorcycles. And it opened up a door for me to go to Sturgis and to play at the motorcycle rally. Mark's been there many times with us. And I had no idea the door that just what was in my hand <laughs> would open up. I had no idea. And we started playing at Sturgis 
on a little stage downtown. I won't tell you what Mark called it. And I was taking a nap one day. I love taking naps. Anybody love naps? I take one every day at 2.30. And I'm not condemned by it either, just so you'll know. I stopped that, that condemning talk. And I was taking a nap, and I woke up from a nap. You know, the most creative times in your day happen right as you're waking up and right as you fall asleep. And you need to take note, have a piece of paper and a pencil by your bed so you can write it down. And I woke up from a nap, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put together a bike blessing CD. Bike blessing. Every biker wants their bike to be prayed over by a pastor or a priest. And so I, I recorded a little 60-second prayer. I got some out, out in the foyer. We're going to give them to the bikers that are here. A bunch of my music and mine and Sherry's story. And we gave away thousands and thousands of these CDs while we performed. At one point, we were giving away about 1,200 an hour. And I never found one of them. I'd always go out after we were done, and I'd walk around and try to see if I could find one on the street, somebody thrown away or in a trash can. And I never found one. It was what was in my hand. Now, I want you to think, what, what do you have? What's in your life right now that you can use to help somebody? You don't have to preach to people. You have to be there. You don't have to do anything except show up and love them and watch how your gift opens up that door. There's so many opportunities for you and I, but if we discount our gift and won't be aware of what we have to give away, we'll never take advantage of those opportunity. God has a purpose for your life, and he would ask that you trust him with it. He always wants to use you right here, right now, in the present with what you have in your hand. Don't make the same mistake that Moses made and default to the sense of lack. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us, for your concern for us. And Lord, I ask right now that as I've shared this message, Lord, that it would, it would stimulate something in everyone's heart right here. They'd get a picture in their mind of what they have to give and who they can give it to. And Lord, that they would begin to use and see the opportunities in front of them and take them from where they are to the place where you want to use them greatly. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity today. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mark. Hello. There you go. Thank you, Jimmy. We're going to turn to our time of communion this morning. This is where we turn our attention to what all of this is about. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on that cross 2,000 years ago to make things right between us and God. He allowed his body to be broken so we could be made whole. His blood was shed so we could wash away our sins. And we celebrate that when we take communion. And the Bible tells us that before we do this, we should stop and reflect. And we're going to do that right now. I'm going to ask everyone to bow your heads as I pray a prayer of forgiveness over all of us here this morning. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause 
to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed, something that we did that we shouldn't have done, something that we didn't do that we should have done, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we pray, have mercy on us and forgive us of our sins. And while heads are bowed and people are reflecting, maybe you're just visiting the service here with us today, uh, online, down at Fox Valley service here in Green Bay. And you're thinking, you know, I've, I've never really experienced what you guys are talking about. Well, you can this morning. All you have to do is in your own words, ask Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins. And you can start your first steps of faith here this morning. 